Good morning. Uh, we are continuing in our study on uh, Christians in the workplace. Last week, uh, last week we thought about the purpose of employment and how it can, how we can be tempted towards a mindset of uh, the idolatry of work, uh, and or the idleness at work. So either putting the the work that we do above God in the source of our worship, um, or just being lazy. Um, and not glorifying God in our work. I don't need this, do I? All right. It's kind of weird having something sticking in your face. All right. Um, but today we're going to look at, we're going to make it more personal. We're going to see how, we're going to look at what is our motive for glorifying God, and uh, which which is the engine behind the machine. Uh, the motive is what drives um, our dedication to our employment. Um, it's what allows us to uh, continue in our, our, our goal when we're confronted with hardships, when we're confronted with difficulties, um, confronted with a boss who uh, doesn't necessarily have the same worldview as we do. Uh, and that can make it difficult. So if we don't have the right motive, if we're not working for the right reason, we can fall into all kind of traps uh, where we cease to glorify God with our work um, and we start doing it for the wrong reason. And, and, and we destroy uh, our witness in our workplace. We destroy our, our evangelism. Um, and we reflect on, um, we reflect on Christ, who we are representing. We looked at that last week. So, uh, so today uh, we're going to look at the gospel and uh, how the gospel confronts uh, our mindsets and change, changes our work. Uh, so the answer to the question, what motivates us, uh, that answer is the gospel. And uh, that sounds like a very general, vague uh, motive, but it's not. It's a very specific motive if we understand the gospel um, and we understand how it affects all parts of our lives. It's a very specific answer. So uh, let's start out by uh, going to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you uh, for another Sabbath, another day of rest, another day to come together um, and, and, and observe the rest that we look forward to in our eternal home, uh, to celebrate... Uh, this rest that we're promised alongside our brothers and sisters who have the same hope that we have, Lord, uh, to encourage each other, to build each other up, to strengthen ourselves, to go out into the hostile world and to be uh, your fragrance, to, um, to spread that message that can in turn bring hope to others. Um, Lord, this is a, a difficult task and one that's easy to be distracted from and um, Lord, it's so easy for us to fall into um, the pitfalls um, that present themselves to us on a weekly basis and in, in putting other things above you um, and, and having the wrong motives for um, our work um, and the things that we produce with our hands. And Lord, we want you to protect us from that. And we know that um, gathering each week and, and fellowshipping and, 
and encouraging each other is a key part of that. So we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our family, our church family here, and we thank you for the encouragement and strengthening that you're going to provide today. Lord, let us focus on your word today. Let us focus on your truth. And uh, just like you prayed for us uh, so many years ago that before you before you sacrificed yourself on the cross, Lord, that we would be unified in that truth, Lord, that is found in your word. Um, so be with us this morning and let our hearts be directed toward your truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So one of the dangers of teaching a class on our calling in the workplace is that we can end up saying a lot of helpful, true, uh, even biblical things without actually getting to the gospel. Um, and that is a problem. Um, and it leads to error when we take our eyes off of the gospel. Uh, the gospel is the center of, of everything that we are and do. Uh, and in the entire, uh, all that lies within the cover of the Bible is all about the gospel. And so as Christians, as followers of Christ, everything we do should be all about the gospel. And we should look through that lens at everything that we study and pursue. Um, so you would think that as a born-again Christian, your approach to work should be different from a devout Jew or a faithful Roman Catholic or even a good Mormon, for example. Even though these groups largely agree on the framework that we've laid out so far, your view should be different because of the gospel. <clears throat> How does the gospel make you a different worker than someone who is a good moral, uh, good moral with a Judeo-Christian worldview? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. <clears throat> so, Jesus' work, and we looked at Jesus as the model uh, of a worker, a faithful worker uh, that glorified God. And so we're going to look specifically at Jesus' work and how it changes everything. So Jesus' work does, in fact, change everything. Uh, in short, your work should be different because of our model, Jesus. Uh, Jesus was the perfect worker. He perfectly carried out the work God gave him to do. In John chapter 17, he says as such to his father um, that he had accomplished exactly what God had put before him to do. He had accomplished the work that was put before him. <clears throat> and he did do it perfectly. Uh, part of that work was uh, the salvation that he uh, that that uh, he received for all of us on the cross. Uh, Jesus's work was to live out a righteous life and die a sinner's death. His work was to go to the cross, where he took the penalty that our sin deserved, so that we could be made right with God. Um, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, a transaction took place. We came to the deal with the wages of our sin and a massive debt against God. Um, that we could never repay. Jesus came to the deal with a flawless credit score, a life of pure obedience, and a perfect relationship with the king. The great trade was made. God treated Jesus as we deserved so that all who believed in him could be treated as he deserved. Uh, he made the ultimate sacrifice of his life so that we could know the ultimate grace of being, given for, uh, being forgiven of our sins and brought into a right relationship with God. If we trust Jesus, we are saved by his work, not by ours. Uh, this is the good news. This is the gospel. Um, and it has 
implications again on our on our life and as we're going to look at today on our work. Um, so as we walk down the handout that that you've uh, picked up, hopefully, um, there are five things that we're going to look at, five different areas and that we're going to look at are five reasons why it affects our work. Uh, so it means that we have, number one, a new master. Uh, we're going to look at, number two, a new assignment that has been given if, if we are looking at our work through the gospel. Number three, we've been given new hearts. Number four, a new confidence. And finally, number five, new rewards. <clears throat> So we're going to spend the first part of this class thinking through these generally, and then the second half we'll apply them to the workplace. Um, so looking at number one, we'll look at it, uh, the first way that Jesus' work and what he accomplishes changes our work, uh, and that is we work for a new master. If we've trusted in Christ's work, uh, then we have a new master. Uh, the Bible says in, in Romans chapter 6 that, that we were slaves to sin formerly, but now have been made slaves to righteousness, which is a slave to Christ. Um, we were enemies, but we are now, according to Galatians, sons and heirs. Uh, and we are stewards now of the grace that we've been given by the great king. Because Jesus is our new master, we work to please him. Um, so the question becomes, what, what pleases him? That leads us to number two, which is we have a new assignment. Uh, what pleases him that we are, we are pursuing and accomplishing his assignment for us. Um, so I've heard it said that, that what matters is not, and you've probably heard this said too, but it, it, that it doesn't matter uh, what you do, but who you are becoming, or it doesn't matter what you do and what you accomplish, but who you are. Um, while this might be generally true, it's not the way our workplace operates. Um, for the most part, the person you are becoming, from skills to character to the role you play in your family, friendships, and church, isn't really what your boss cares about. I've never been called into the boss's office and sat down and he encourage me and compliment me on how great a father I was uh, or how good a job I was doing as being a husband to my wife. Um, I, I venture to guess neither have you. Um, that's not what's important to our employers. Uh, instead, um, what's important to them is what serves their purposes and their goals. Um, at a functional level, what is what you do is more important to your employer than the person you are becoming. And a good question to ask is why? Um, why is that? And to me, it all breaks down between, uh, between the American dream versus the eternal kingdom dream, if you will. So it's a worldview um, issue. Because he or she or the company in itself is, is pursuing this American dream, which is, defines itself by the level of success in the financial arena, um, everything that it does, all decisions that it makes, 
has to follow suit to accomplish that goal, right? But we're looking at this from a different worldview. And our assignment is now different in Christ. Um, Our assignment is now to glorify God. Our assignment now is to be a representative of Christ. Um, And so how do we accomplish those um, in that atmosphere? Um, So in an employer's eyes, if, if you're not contributing to what their goal is, then you have to be taken out of the way, be removed as an obstacle. Jesus sees things different. Um, and why? Well, for obvious reasons, because he, is, he has a very eternal kingdom uh, dream, and that dream has already been accomplished. It's over. It's, it's, that battle's already been won. And so the reward lies ahead. Um, so there are no requirements of us to accomplish that dream. Christ has already accomplished it. Um, so Jesus reorders our assignments. No longer are we working toward an American dream or, um, or a dream of success, a dream of having a certain amount of things um, or a certain type of lifestyle. He removes that assignment and he puts in a new assignment, which is to love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Uh, He says that this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's our new assignment um, in all areas of life and especially at the workplace. Um, So our main assignment is to love God. The moment we become a Christian, that trumps all other goals in our life. Now, that's different from saying our assignment is to serve God. Uh, Service is a part of it, but again, the goal has been accomplished already. Um, And so our service becomes a descriptive of our life and not a prescriptive. Um, It becomes a reaction to our love of God and not an assignment we're giving to serve God. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, So... To love God is to devote ourselves to appreciating his magnificence. Um, then as we, as we do that, Jesus says that love is most often expressed through loving other people. Another way to put this is that the main assignment that Jesus gives us is to pay attention to whom we serve and not what we do. Um, he says that in saying, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, That means that in our workplace, you're working for something different than the non-Christians around you. Money does play a part in it. We have to support our families. Um, We can glorify God with money. We can serve others. We can give to others. Uh, So money is important in this, but it is not the focus. Uh, Advancement can be good, And we do want to help our bosses do a good job, but ultimately we are there to love God better. Um, And that's our new assignment. Uh, We'll go on and look at number three, which is we have new hearts. There's probably nothing more deflating in the workplace than being given an assignment without without the resources to carry it out. Sure, there can be an element of challenge in this kind of situation, but for the most part, it's 
demotivating. Um, we've all been in that situation where we've been required to do something that we did not have the tools to accomplish. Uh, brings frustration and uh, usually results in failure of that task. Uh, but Jesus doesn't treat us that way. Um, he has given us assignment, but he has also promised us the tools necessary to accomplish that assignment. Um, so it's in this way, in one of the many ways that, that unlike your boss, uh, or Jesus is unlike any boss you've ever had. Um, he calls you to a seemingly impossible task, but he always also gives you everything you need to accomplish it. If you're a Christian, then you have been given a new heart and a new mind. <clears throat> the prophet Ezekiel foretold this. He said in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The apostle Paul explained that the power of the spirit would enable us to love God. He says in Galatians chapter 4, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba Father. And not only, does, uh, not only to love God, but to love others as well. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, we read, uh, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. So we see there, just from that short list of fruits of the Spirit, that we're being given everything that we need to accomplish the task that's before us. Um, he also forgives and restores us when we fail to accomplish these new assignments, unlike any earthly boss you'll ever have, he is infinitely patient. Jesus doesn't set us up for a failure. Instead, he gives us the new hearts and all the grace we could ever need to love God and love others. <clears throat> and that segues into number four, which is we have a new confidence. Um, it seems like so many problems we run into in the workplace basically come down to issues of self-worth and self-confidence, which again is a sign of the wrong idol, having an idol in, in, in front of us instead of Christ, instead of glorifying God with what we're doing. Um, we slave away at a job, desperate to move past our peers, uh, because that's how we'll define ourselves. That's, we'll uh, know if we're doing an okay job, as if we're succeeding um, in comparison to our peers. Uh, or we become extremely sensitive to criticism and, and completely deflated when a boss gives me negative feedback because my self-worth was wrapped up in the job. So, in essence, it's, we are finding our identity in the work again and not in Christ. Now, you'll notice I didn't say that the gospel gives us a, self, a new self-worth. I said it gives us a new confidence. Uh, there are many out there that will say something like, God loves you so much, um, that's, how, that's how much you're worth. Uh, feel empowered, feel the self-esteem flow through you, you can do anything. And so it makes Christ and his sacrifice um, basically a goodie bag that we can reach into and pull out to, to make ourselves feel better. Uh, so that we can have confidence, so that we can look better in front of our peers, um, so that we can sound better. Uh, and, and that's, not, that's not what the gospel, that's not how the gospel should affect us. And it's not how it empowers us. 
Uh, the Bible says that our, that our strengths are found in our weaknesses uh, because that's where Christ fills. Uh, so, the gospel doesn't give us self-worth. In fact, if anything, it does the opposite. Um, it says that you're actually worth a lot less than you thought. Um, it, sh- it should bring our attention to our wretchedness. It should bring our attention to the gap between ourselves and an inf- uh, infinitely perfect God and a, and a Savior who is perfect. That should crush our pride. That should be the preventing factor um, keeping us from arrogance, from pride, for, for putting, from putting work ahead of the Christ, our, our Savior. Um, the point of the gospel isn't how great we are, um, even after we've become a Christian. It's how great Christ, how great Christ is and, and can be shown through you. Um, so, moving to uh, number five, we have new rewards. Let me back up just for a second. Look at the n- n- number four again. Um, there's a passage in Second Corinthians chapter five um, that is extremely applicable here, and, and I wanted to read through it real quick. Second Corinthians, and I don't think it's listed on here, but you, go ahead and write it in the margin there, and and uh, be something you can look at later. Um, but it speaks directly to this, and. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if I can find it. Specifically chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Let me read it here. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is, in, which is from heaven. If indeed we have been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Here's the important part. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. So where does our confidence come from? Unshakable confidence? It comes from the hope that we've been given, the, the, the secured eternal future. Uh, this is the, the eternal kingdom uh, dream. Uh, being eternally minded, being kingdom minded. You've heard it referred to in these, these ways. But it is the worldview that we look through now that this is a tent that we're living in. And in contrast, we have a building built by God, prepared for us, um, awaiting us. And so, like Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So either way, I glorify God. Either way, it's to benefit me. 
if I remain here, if I get to continue to work in the job that I'm working, I get the awesome opportunity to glorify God with what I'm doing. And that's what motivates me because I don't have to worry about a promotion as a reward for my good work. I don't have to worry about the approval of somebody that's around me. Um, I'm already approved. I've, I've already have the reward awaiting me. And I know it because the Holy Spirit is in me. And he is the guarantee of that reward that has been secured and awaits me. Um, so that's the source of confidence and it can't be shaken. Um, and moving right into the rewards, number five, we do have new rewards. Um, our reward before Christ was death, eternal death, because the wages of sin are death, right? And all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we know that was, the, that was our reward before Christ. But we have new rewards that, again, can give us the confidence and to, to glorify God with our work. 1 Peter chapter 1, um, verses 3 through 4. Um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Um, again, this is an unshakable confidence. If, in fact, your confidence has been placed in that, it cannot be shaken by uh, losing a job or losing a career even or not getting the accolades or attention that you think your performance deserves. Because any accolades or awards that you could receive here pale in comparison. They're not even worth considering in light of the reward that we have waiting for us. So how does this actually change our daily performance in the workplace? Uh, let's apply this to that day-to-day -day work. We have freedom in our day-to-day -day work. Uh, I talked a little bit about this last week and just the release, the lifting of uh, weight off of our shoulders and how we... Uh, in pleasing another man, in pleasing um, an employer. Um, not in, we, we don't have a relief in our level of, of excellence that we strive for because what we do is uh, we place a much higher goal as a believer because we're now shooting to glorify for God with our work. Um, and his excellence is so far above any employer that we could work for here on earth. But again, our confidence is that we've already received the reward and that we're doing this work, this excellent work to please God in a response to our love for God, right? And our thankfulness for that reward. And so th there, there is a freedom um, that that allows in our, in our work. Um, if we don't have this eternal perspective of our work, We'll be blown by the waves of st the stock market, um, temporary successes and failures, bosses who don't treat us well, and our own desires. 
By working for Jesus, we aren't completely free from the fluctuations that inevitably affect our work, but we are free from having our identity and responses anchored in those circumstances. What does this freedom look like in our day-to-day work? It means that we can respond to our circumstances and situations differently because our ultimate identity, our self-worth, and our present and future rewards have already been secured by Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through a few implications of the gospel in our workplace in the the form of freedoms we should be experiencing in Christ. And uh, what I want you to do is kind of look at those areas as we go through them and grade yourself. We're not going to share our grades with anybody, so be honest with yourself. Just kind of give yourself a grade, and how am I doing in this area? And use it as something to contemplate over the next week, um, and identify, because let me just, none of us are doing this perfectly, obviously. Um, And the will of God is that we be sanctified that we continue to grow, that we continue to be made new and in the image of Christ, um, that we're all in this process of being perfected in the image of Christ. So use this as kind of a a litmus test of where we are, a snapshot, um, and then identify the areas that we can, that that we have weakness in, um, that we're we're kind of falling short in. um, And then we can go to the Lord and pray for strength in these areas that are our weaknesses. Um, So... Let's look, at those, let's look at those few areas there. So one freedom that we have in our day-to-day work is the freedom to worship God through our work. Why would we worship God through our work? Because he's worthy of our worship. And again, he's already accomplished the success. So in Christ, we are free to worship through our work. Worship is, in its essence, adoration and action. Adoration, meaning the comprehension of the excellence of God and the action responding accordingly uh, work helps us to do both it gives us an avenue to do both uh, first adoration being a worker helps us understand the magnificence of the character of God the ultimate worker uh, it's one thing to read in scripture that God's authority is good but it's quite another to experience it as you act it out either by exercising good authority or benefiting from it it's one thing to read in scripture of God's creativity It's another to see it in his creation. Uh, We can understand it more as we act it out. Experiencing the delight of a creative stroke of genius that itself is merely a shadow of God's own creative power. And the second is action. Uh, If God is worth serving, then we want to serve him. And that looks like obedience to him, no matter how small or important the task is. It means that my attitude and aims are no longer tied to me and my circumstances, how much money, power, fame, or comfort I can accrue for myself. Um, Work is no longer built around me and my goals, but around making much of God and the results he has already secured for us. So in Christ, you are free to worship in your work. How are you doing in worshiping God in your work? Number two, freedom to serve others wholeheartedly. Do you have any idea how rare it is to find a truly altruistic uh, person in work? Someone who has no agenda but simply wants to do good to others. Uh, You can be that person. Why? Because all you really need is, is met in Christ. Sure, it's nice to be appreciated by your boss, but 
all that you think you need appreciation for, the affirmation of your self-worth that you think you need has been met in Christ. Not by self-worth, by Christ's worth, but by Christ's worth. So again, I mean, it, 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 your identity is wrapped up in Christ, not in the success or failures that, that you can accomplish in your job. Um, so again, if your goal is to glorify God with your work, that's a much higher standard, a much higher uh, bar than to glorify or impress your boss. Um, so if we're shooting for that bar, and what makes what glorifies God is serving others, that that means that the the best way to glorify God with our our work is to serve others in our work. Number three is to is the freedom that we have to trust God in our work. The workplace is a place of worry. That's not very difficult to see. Um, it's a, a, a place of anxiety, of deadlines, of uh, a lot of stress, unmet expectations. Um, there is always a deadline in front of you, right, at work. There's a lot that can go wrong and often does. Um, but as someone who works for Jesus, you have the freedom to trust God instead of giving in to worry. Now, of course, we don't trust, God, uh, trust Jesus for the future simply because he's a really smart career planner or even that he has your career in mind. We trust him with our future because... He's already secured it. He's already secured our eternal future. Again, it's not simply, it's not about your career. It's about your eternal future. Think about a worry you've had at work recently. I mean, literally call one to mind right now and think about it. Uh, if you're like me, you've got lots to pick from. There was a lot to worry about this past week, I'm sure. Uh, just stop for a minute and consider whether that that fear actually came true. So the worst case scenario happens um, is your blood pressure beginning to rise. But then consider a few important, important truths from Scripture. That worst case scenario happens. Is God not still in control of everything? He is in control of allowing that fear to come true. For sure. God has promised to use everything for our good and his glory. The only reason he would allow that fear to come true is because he intends to use it for your good. And when I say your good, your eternal good. Not necessarily the good of that situation that you're in. Uh, God loves you more than you can possibly realize. And he is committed to doing what is best for you no matter the pain or pleasure involved. Um, most often we don't look at pain and tribulation and trouble in the workplace and stresses and all of the, the things that, that make life hard as something God uses to, to build us up, to strengthen us and to equip us for an eternal life. But most often those are the most uh, successful tools he has in doing that. 
Jesus is your ultimate boss. There is no circumstance that could arise in your life that is surprising to him that could keep you from accomplishing his will for you. So, thinking through that, that situation that, that you were worried about and could happen, I mean, look at it through that, that lens. Uh, when you're feeling anxious or you are preoccupied with the future, go on a long walk or take a, uh, take a journal to the nearest coffee shop. Remember all, uh, remember all the ways that God has proven trustworthy in the past. Trace out how specific anxiety is dispelled in light of the gospel. And let Jesus be the anchor of your trust. Um, so in Christ, you are free to trust God in your work. Freedom, number four, freedom to rest from our work. God rested after the sixth day of creation. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father after his work on the cross. God granted the Israelites rest from their enemies in the promised land. The idea of the Sabbath rest is embedded in the Old Testament, not only for the people of Israel, but even for their animals and land. Clearly, our Creator is a gracious God who calls us not to endless labor, but to a healthy rhythm of work and rest. Uh, Proverbs 23 tells us, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Rest is a good thing that God has built into our lives. It's a gift that reminds us we are dependent on God and allows us to enjoy the fruits of our labor, even when our work on this earth feels endless. God knows your limits. He designed them. And you can trust his intent for your need to rest. Uh, as Charles de Gaulle once famously remarked, the graveyards are full of indispensable men. Do, do you really think that the world is going to collapse if, you're, if you stop working? Take that up with God who created you with a need to rest, a need designed precisely so that you would come to understand each night as you fall into bed that it doesn't all depend on you. It depends on him. Uh, there's many ways that you can put this, to, this truth to practice. Here's three. First, set natural boundaries. While at work, be focused, efficient, and intense. But once you leave, leave it at work. Um, don't check your work email. Let your boss know how he or she can reach you in an emergency, but otherwise... Show restraint. You're likely going to be back soon anyway. Second, bookend your days with prayers of dependence and thanks to God. It's extremely important. In the morning, pray and ask him to give you wisdom and focus on the work he has for you. And I would add to that, praying to equip yourself through the reading of the word. All right. So, uh, meditate on the things of God before you go into the workplace with the intentions of glorifying God. Uh, third, if at all possible, set aside Sunday as a day of worship and rest. Even if you fear that taking off an entire day will cost you a profit or promotion or even your job, um, although the, you bear the weight of an enormous responsibility in your job, recognize that it's actually God who prospers your work. Uh, in demonstrating faith in his sovereignty by not working, accomplish, uh, because sometimes rest is an act of faith. I wouldn't say sometimes, I would say always. Um, this is one we especially struggle with in America uh, because, again, the position, the job becomes more important than glorifying God. Um, and I would say that working on Sunday is, 
is, is always a choice. Um, but the job uh, could be, it could come at the expense of the job for sure. So um, we'll leave that one there for now. Fifth, freedom to pursue excellence. Uh, we've talked about excellence. Uh, we've talked about the level that we're called to. Um, how many of us set out to pursue mediocrity? Not many of us, I would think. Uh, how many four-year-olds want to be a firefighter, want to be mediocre firefighters? No, they want to be the greatest firefighter on earth. Uh, how many college students are studying to be engineers, want to be mediocre engineers? Um, Yet the world is full of mediocre workers. Why? Because there, because there are constraints that keep us from excellence. Not just achieving excellence, but even pursuing excellence. Um, that's because excellence in our work can't be entirely motivated from outside of us, like the allure of more money or a, great, or a threat of being fired. Excellence must come from within us. And those motivations uh, can't just be conjured up at a whim. It's here that the gospel frees us to pursue excellence. Think of all the things that must line up for a typical worker to be motivated toward excellence. The task has to feel achievable. It should align with what we're good at. It helps if the boss can be trusted. You need to believe in the cause. Wake up the right brand of coffee and so forth. But in the gospel, we've got everything we need to be motivated. The cause is the enjoyment and proclamation, proclamation of, the, of God. The sovereign God of the universe has designed the task and given us new hearts to accomplish it. Um, and if you need coffee, he'll provide that too. <laughs> so even if the job looks hopeless from a worldly standpoint, the task you've been given by God to worship him through your work by appreciating him more and working as unto the Lord, that's a great motivation. Proverbs chapter 22 tells us, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. Uh, skilled work leads to a majestic, to majestic service. Who do we work for? Like Daniel, Nehemiah, and Mordecai, we also work for a king. In fact, the king of kings. How much more then should our ethic, attitude, energy, and efforts uh, befit service to that king? Uh, number six, we have freedom to have joy in our work. Um, and this is one we often leave out. Yes, you are free to enjoy labor, even toil, even the torment that accompanies that toil. We can enjoy it. Solomon said that uh, life was, in our pursuit of things, were meaningless. Uh, pretty emphatically, he says that, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Vanity, it's a breath. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, what does man gain from all his labor which he toils under the sun? It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Um, working for anyone other than Jesus is discouraging. Because if we don't have an eternal perspective, what are we doing it for? We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. What we've produced, the money we've made, the things that we've collected, it's all going to end up in somebody else's account and in front of somebody else's house. You've often heard that you know, you never see a hearse, I mean, a, a U-Haul behind a hearse. You can't take it with you. Um, so if we're living for our career and our own goals, 
Um, how do you find motivation for that? But if you're living for an eternal kingdom and you're making investments in that eternal kingdom and that life, um, there's much, much to have joy in and much to motivate you. Um, in conclusion, let me close with, with an idea of, with that idea of freedom. Ultimately, the evidence that the gospel is at work in our lives is not so much the things that we do, but in the freedom we de- demonstrate. We should work ethically to be sure. We should honor our superiors to be sure. We should take satisfaction in a job well done. Those things are expected. But they're true of a lot of people, not just Christians. As a Christian, though, you've experienced something those people haven't. You've come to the end of yourself. You've realized that no matter how hard you try, your attempts at achieving what really matters are an epic failure. Because in your very nature, you are a sinner. And yet, despite that hopelessness, you've experienced God's forgiveness. You don't know why. You can barely grasp how. But because of Christ and his work on the cross, you've been forgiven. And that fundamentally changes how you work. It changes it because now you're free. Free from the need to secure self-worth through performance. Free from the fear that you will lose what is in, what's most precious if things don't go well. Free from a mad dash to work without any rest as if the world depended on your effort. And free to take real joy in your work as in it uh, you see the opportunity to enjoy Christ. Um, so working for Jesus changes everything. We'll end there. Does anybody have any questions or comments or amens?